Hey there, and welcome to Queer I Am, Lord, where two or more gather together to kiki in God's name, I'd like to say. I'm Jorge Olivares of HeyJorge.com, and I'm joined by somebody who honestly has been kind of at the front lines of my queer journey, and I feel like I've been on the front lines of their queer Catholic journey too. Somebody who, for the past five, six years has literally been walking hand in hand with me as I've been figuring out what this all means. Like, am I meant to be here? Am I meant to still be a part of the church? And the beautiful part about that is because Larry Holodeck's story is somewhat similar to mine. Granted, everybody has their own unique differences. But the thing that comes to the end of it all is this quest for community, this quest for belonging, and just finding somebody else who you know can speak to the truths that we all discover when we're on this weird path. Um, so I'm excited to welcome Larry to the show to talk not only about his queer journey and to talk about how maybe spirituality informs queerness or the other way around and kind of what God looks like in 2021, because I haven't had a chance to physically be in a room with Larry for quite some time, but based off of our conversations before we got started with this, God is always there because I can tell through Larry's spirit. Uh, so thanks for joining me today, Larry, to have this really fun kiki. <laughs> Thank you, Jorge. And I, I love the image. I love the image of a kiki. <laughs> a, a kiki in God's name, right? Like, because yeah. the is, uh, as I was trying to formulate what the show was going to be, I was always, I've, I love having conversations with people. I love having conversations with you specifically. And the thing that we're always taught, right, is that if two or more gather in God's name, God is present. So like what better way to know that God is present in our lives than to have two people talk about him or talk about God, if we're using gender neutral pronouns, um, talk about God in only the way we know how. Yeah, no, and I think when, you know, and the other use of that is whenever two or more are gathered in his name, there is love. And, and that is to me, you know, love is the basis for me of community. And so, you know, it is a wonderful way to always think about entering into any conversation with more than one person. You know, we can be self-reflective, but as soon as we open it up, there's a bond of love and it will take many, many different forms. But I've always thought that too. It's like wherever two or more are gathered and in my head, it's like, there's love. Well, look at the love that's here, present. I, <laughs> it's everywhere. Yeah. Uh, well, I do want to say full disclosure to our listeners. So I talked about it not only here in the course of the show, but also outside in, in the real world um, that I was a part of, and it's still I'm a part of, an LGBTQ Catholic ministry in New York City called Out at St. Paul's. It is attached to the Church of St. Paul the Apostle in Manhattan. And that's how I know Larry. I met Larry through this uh, at the beginning of 2015, I believe. And the cool thing is that immediately, Larry was somebody who I could find myself having these really, because these can be intense conversations, this idea of like, am I meant to be a Catholic still? Am I meant to be an open Catholic with the world? Um, and so I, one, I just want to tell Larry on tape that I appreciate that he's been there this entire time. But I, I want to say, because you were already attached to the church when I met you. So if we could talk about what brought you to the church and maybe not even that specific church, but maybe what kept you going to church um, at this particular point in your life? Yeah, so that's a great question. And so for me, in terms of self, you know, this, what the self journey was, um, I was much more Catholic than I was gay or queer. And uh, part of my journey uh, in keeping connected to the church was, was reconciling those two things. So for me, the church has always been a constant in my life. And I would say that that's always been, you know, on the foreground 
Uh, and what was always in the background was is the questions about my own uh, sexual identity. And so for me, the journey happened within the context of the church itself and me trying to find community as I was walking through this path of like how I thought I wanted to live my life. And so the, you know, the, the, the story of my journey starts with, I was in the closet for an exceptionally long time and uh, tortured, you know, and tortured, I'm a very privileged person. So torture in terms of my own mental um, thoughts around kind of what it was, what it meant to be gay. So for me, I had to first understand that the church was a place where I could actually build the scaffolding in order to finally resolve this. And so I think that it was only because of the church, and this is going to sound probably very weird to a lot of people because we can say a lot of bad things about the church and know that they're true. But for me, it was really helpful to build the framework through which I could decide how I wanted to live my life. And it was through my Catholic faith that I sort of came back around to rather than in, in my head back in the day, resentful that I was gay. I was like, well, how did you burden me with this thing? Because for me, it was a burden, not a blessing. And the journey that I walked basically allowed me to listen to voices of people who then convinced me to remember the foundation of like, we're made in God's image and God's love is you know, universal and it is never withdrawn from you. I love the imaging of the scaffolding, right? Building the scaffolding to kind of figure out what's going to be built on that particular foundation. But also, like, I think in the course of building the scaffolding, because that takes time, that there's quite a bit of moment of reflection that goes along with it. It's not just something that's done the next day and ta-da, it's all built and it's all good to go. Um, so if you could talk a little bit about the reflection periods that happen during the course of that mm -hmm. building. Sure. Um, because I think that helps arrive at the final product. Yes. So I think a couple of things about that journey. I probably went through a couple of phases when I think about it. First was like, I was horrified um, that when I realized I'm like, okay, you can't, you can't, the gay ain't going away, if you will. <laughs> it's <laughs> like, here to so, stay. Yeah, exactly. So that was sort of number one. And then I went to this point, you know, I sort of went from rejection to anger. And I was, there was a period of time when I was angry. And I wouldn't say that I fell away from the church, but I think church became a check in the box activity for me. And, and it was because I felt an obligation. I must, I felt something and I felt some sense of, of community, but not in the way I wanted to. And so part of my time was like working through that anger. And then I was very fortunate to begin to become involved in, in and aligned with people for whom were helping me to think differently about that. And the first thing that I think led to the first breakthrough was the paradox that is the Catholic church, but the paradox that was my own life. And so, you know, there's a lot of things that like don't make sense in the church and from a, from a theological perspective. And it's like, you know, you have to believe what you can't see. Well, that's a paradox. And for me, it was like, I'm gay. How do I be Catholic? And so part of that journey for me was, was then saying, okay, if I embrace that, this is a natural part of being in a part of this church about the Catholic church is, is that you have to basically push through and be unafraid of examining the paradoxes that come from this. And, you know, luck, fate, whatever you call it, allowed me to enter into a faith community where there were others. All of a sudden I found others that were like me and it was in that community that then allowed me to really get down and deep about like, do I really feel, do I really embrace being gay? And so it was more about, I embraced being Catholic for sure, but did I really embrace being gay? And could I embrace the combination of both of those things? I, I think part of it, and I don't wanna to project too much, but part of what made my 
Catholic queerness intermingling easier was the fact that I could be mindlessly Catholic. It just was so mechanical for me at some particular point, especially if you just do the same routines, right? You go to mass, you know where to sit, you know how to go about the, the elements of, of mass. Like I, I had that down. I didn't have to worry about growing as a Catholic. I thought I was where I needed to be. I wasn't where I needed to be as a queer person. And I think that kind of helps with the queer formation because that other part we got, we, we knew that. There was nothing yeah. really different. Like nothing yeah. was really going to change too much about that. Would you say that that's true? Uh, I, I think so, right? Because I think if you're talking about the ritual and the practice of being you know, a practicing Catholic, yeah. you know, absolutely. And for me, like, I will tell you, I think part of the turning point was slightly different from you about trying to reconcile the two identities. I found a different pathway in. I had gone to an event uh, before we had established that ministry at St. Paul the Apostle. And I remember sitting next to the pastor at the time who had organized it. And it was about, it was a Catholic, it was a queer Catholic theologian. Um, Father James Allison, and the reaction in the room was there was such visceral hurt. And somehow, like, I couldn't identify it as I was hurting, but I, could, I was just very witness to people who were damaged, damaged by the church, who were angry and hateful and whatever. And I remember turning um, to, the, to the pastor next to me, and I said, we, we got to do something about this. I said, this is really, really bad. And it's so interesting that for me, I couldn't, I, I couldn't identify at that moment in time that I was feeling that exact same anger, hurt, rejection, blah, 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 about me, about the church, whatever it was. But, but the call to me was to help other people out of need, which to me, like strap, you know, strip away all everything else about the Catholic church. It's all about being good to your neighbor. It's all about basically seeing the face of God in every interaction that you have. And that sounds a little bit churchy to me sometimes, but like, but that's what it was. I was seeing God calling me out of the pain of other people, completely blind to the fact that I was, I was consumed with the same feelings. Yeah. And it took me some time to, you know, to work my way through it. And, you know, just to, to, to continue down that arc, several number of years later, uh, as I was going through my journey, it then became personal to me because I was somebody who was very, I was creating, I created a dual life for myself, um, which is weird. So maybe that's how I entered in church. I'm like, Outside of church, I was somebody who was gay. Inside church, I was this Catholic. And I had done that. I had lied to my family. I had lied to you know everybody. And the parallel tracks are happening. And somebody, through that same sort of mechanism of thing, had said, you know, for those of you who aren't out yet, I just want, I'm, I'm sure you're just so delighted how you are able to basically preserve both of these two identities that you have. And that's terrific. And there's so much that you gain from that. But have you ever basically paused for a second and realized, because you're doing that, what you've missed in life? And Jorge, I literally, you know how when you say like you become undone, yeah. I literally at that moment became undone because that was like, that was my Emmaus walk with myself. I'm like, the scales came down off of my eyes and I'm like, oh my God, like I have missed so much in my life because of this. And all the energy I spent keeping my worlds apart came together at that moment. I'm like, got it. Mm -hmm. I think that it's very important to talk about the idea of, of one's damage. And I think we're, we try to compare and contrast our damage to others in order to understand if it rises to the same level as everybody else's and if it, if it warrants attention the way others do. And I think there is something to be said about 
anybody who's queer growing up in either the Catholic church or any sort of religious institution because of whatever elements of spiritual violence they've encountered, that the damage is there, no matter how small, no matter how big. And it is a choice that we make to either address the damage and, and live fruitful lives to the best of our abilities, or unfortunately let it kind of just linger there and fester there and unfortunately take, take us into directions that we don't want to go. Um, but I think that is important to understand that the damage, that we can fix the damage. Um, so maybe let's talk a little bit about the process in which you, you encountered the damage. Um, and I feel so, like that's such a harsh word to use, but I think it, it encompasses the feelings that are attached to it. Like what did the fixing process look like? I think there, for me, there were two really, really important aspects to it. I think one was, was really reflecting deeply about God's unbounded love for me. And that was such an important part of it because I did feel not worthy of love because of, you know, society, what the church has done in the past, what it continues to do uh, with its rhetoric around, you know, LGBT faithful, LGBTQ faithful. And so I think number one was just really, really opening up the space um, to allow for that healing. And the second thing in concept of forgiveness, and that's forgiveness of ourself. You know, forg I'm, I forgive myself for what I've done to my, the damage I've inflicted on myself. I have to forgive mm. myself for that. So that's number one, right? I have to forgive, I have to be constantly forgiving myself and not sort of going back. Um, I have to forgive others, others who perhaps were understanding, others who were, were, were spiteful or mean or hateful. And I have to be loving and forgiving to them. And then more broadly, and this is gonna sound odd, we have to, I have to, we have to forgive the church because you can't be in this unless you have the capacity for, to forgive at the same level. And again, to get churchy again for a second, like my, my, you know, North star on this is if the story of the resurrection is what it is, well, then there's many, many different points there for learning. But one of the most important ones for me is Jesus was able to forgive even while he was being put to death. Forgive them for they know not what they do. And you're like, wow, okay, right? I mean, that mm -hmm. is a very, very powerful way to tell you how much you have to dig to forgive. And I think about that about the church because maybe they telegraph, they're like, we're gonna mess up a lot here. We're gonna say dumb things. We're gonna do awful things to people. And yet somehow we have to never forget and always practice the act of forgiving. I wanna take two of those things and kind of go in separate directions. The first is about the forgiveness of the church, because I feel like a lot of people will say that the church does not take responsibility for its rhetoric or any sort of doctrine that we see as exclusionary or harmful. Um, but there are people who either through their social media accounts or either through statements, like there are some people who are leaders within the church that do take um, some level of accountability for either what the church is doing at large um, or even things that they might've said that might've been hurtful. But I really do want to focus on the forgiveness itself because I think that is such a hard thing for a lot of us to do, especially within the context of religion, because we, we don't understand that the damage that we inflict on ourselves is a survival coping mechanism that doesn't really present itself until much later when we're like, oh shit, this is what we had to do. Mm -hmm. um, and so I think that there's something so beautiful about the forgiveness of self because we, we owe it to ourselves to be able to move forward and to move on from things that sometimes were just out of our control. 
Yeah, no, I think the thing is, as I think about like, we all, we all have, are given or blessed with a level of energy and capacity to do whatever the doing is. And if you change the energy from the, from where you're focused on the damage and the inflictors and the consequences of that damage, that crowds out a lot of room to do other things. Uh, forgiveness actually, it takes a lot of time, but it does take a lot of energy to basically just, you know, re, re, re the situation, just like reset it and be like, wow, okay, I need to find the capacity to forgive because if I can't forgive, I can't move on. I may not forget. Doesn't mean you forget. Mm -hmm. Doesn't mean it doesn't inform you, but like if I can't chip that energy away from the anger I feel about the damage, then I'm never going to basically have enough capacity to do really better things. Right. Mm -hmm. To use some of the phrasing that you used not too long ago about you outside of church were gay Larry inside of church. You were not at what point did it become all the same person? Mm. But for, I think it was probably, you talked earlier about the ministry um, at, at um, the church of St. Paul, the apostle in New York out at St. Paul. And it was probably through that, that I finally realized how the, the benefit, I would say it was probably where I realized the benefit of being gay. Um, and being Catholic at the same time, because I turned it into the, okay, now perhaps the calling for me is to be that witness to others for others. And so that was the way I was like, okay, maybe everybody doesn't agree with that, but like, I've discerned enough about this. I've really reflected enough about this to be like, that's what God called me for. That's the purpose is to be that person who could basically, you know, stand up at the pulpit and make announcements after church um, about activities for the LGBTQ community um, and the parishioners at St. Paul the Apostle in New York. And that act of doing that is exceptionally powerful. It's a beacon call. It's a cry out. And people will say, it even happened more recently. People said to me, I almost burst out into tears. I had no idea that was coming. It happened. And I was like, oh, wow, I'm in a very different place than I thought I was, but it's still the same place I recognize. Mm -hmm. I was like, oh my gosh, that's, that's you know, absolutely amazing. And one of the things just to tie back that to the other point back was, is that I think that one of the things that LGBTQ people in general, um, probably one of their core competencies and one of their best skills is their capacity to forgive. And I don't think we give ourselves enough credit for it um, because we got to forgive a lot of shit in this world. Um, and we, we got to, you got to deal with a lot and boy, do you have to forgive a lot. And I'm always impressed and amazed at the capacity that we have to forgive family members who you're coming out to was not um, very, you know, smooth. It could have been a bumpy ride. It may not still be reconciled and you have to forgive them for not having the clarity to basically see things as they are as opposed to how they, they want them to be. And so I feel like the way in which for me, it was probably the window through forgiveness that allowed me to basically bring the two of them together. And again, you, you know, before I talked about this imagery about, and I can relate that to the Bible and I can relate that to the stories and I can relate that, I can relate that to the foundation of our faith. And so rather than being the interloper and the person who's trying to push my way in, you know, and be like, <laughs> you know, I'm here, I'm queer, get used to it. Right. Mm -hmm. I can also say, no, no, no. The story of our faith, like I, I'm there, right. I'm there and I'm living it. And I was like, Oh, okay. You know, let's go. <laughs> yeah, yeah, let's get out. Because you know, like I'm a, I'm a doer, right? Like I want to, I want to do things. Like I want to mm -hmm. think for a while, but like I, you know, 
I want to get messy. I want to basically get in there and be like, okay, I'm a middle child. I'm always like, I want to fix things, right? I want to fix the relationships. I want to, you know, I want us all to get along. Yeah, that's so funny. Uh, Talking about being there. Now, I haven't... I haven't really taken a chance to to describe the feeling of being at a church that is very welcoming, such as St. Paul the Apostle, where it, there's a running joke where a lot of us who are queer and who are part of this ministry all sit at one particular section of the church. Like, it's the gay section, for lack of a better way of describing it. We call it Chelsea, but keep going. Yes, Chelsea, <laughs> uh, which is historically the gay neighborhood in, in New York. Um, but talk about... Like I can talk about what it's like to sit there as somebody who has been a lifelong Catholic, somebody who came out to the first people he remembers in eighth grade. I, but I want to hear from you because you did say you came out later in life, that there's been this struggle, there's been this journey of either forgiveness or assessing the damage. Like, Describe what it's like to sit in those pews surrounded by other queer people in a place that you thought was not reserved for us. I, I'll give you a couple of different perspectives on this. Number one, I think it's very comforting to find people who, who balance their queerness with their Catholicism. That's very, very empowering because you know that you know that they know that you know, like how hard this is. <laughs> <laughs> really like, oh, I found my people, you know, mm-hmm. which, is, which is very great. So I think that that's one thing that, that there's this shared level of understanding. For me, I'll just give you two other thoughts about when I'm in, the church, if you will, I'm just as comforted by the fact that I am with people who don't identify as queer, who are just as happy for me to be there and are there because this is a place where the rhetoric melts away. And this is where people are really digging in and, 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 and examining their faith more actively. So they're not check the box or people who are in there. That to me is also very, very powerful because it's not just that mass about being queer it's the mass about being real and i had somebody Mm. recently say to me that that one of the reasons that they keep coming back to that particular church and this is i think the paulists in general is an order the first american order by the way is that they've always thought that the church really is lived outside of the doors of the parish because you you go there for nourishing and for community but the real work is done outside and one of the things that at at that the paulists do is they don't mince words and they don't shy away from the issues. And this person said to me, St. Paul's was the first place I came to where they basically talked very, very clearly about the sexual abuse cases in the church and the contriteness and the things that were gotten wrong and what they are trying to do differently. And I do think that that's a very, very important part for me about what I feel like when it's real and, and there's no candy coating and there's no, we're gonna shy away. Like we pray about things, we talk about things, they sermonize about things, you know, all of those things are a part of it. And I just have one other thought about it as well. It always happens. And for me, I'm, I'm the person and, and, and it's probably, it is, it's in my id. Um, I'll, I'll sort of explain why, but like, I'm always looking at the margins. Like I wanna be a part of the group, but it really all happens at the margins. And so it's not necessarily sitting in the pew, it's what happens after mass and you're sitting in the back and you're standing in the back, just conversing with the tribe, if you will. And I'm always floating. I'm like, I am looking for that. Cause they're there. The person mm-hmm. who uncomfortable, unknown, still questioning, blah, blah, blah. And I slowly will make my way over to them and I'll be like, Hey, you're a new face. 
you know, what do you think of me? Do you come here often? You know, that sounds a little pickish. It's not, it's not a pickup. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I'm here to pick up some. Oh my goodness. Things. How does that happen? I, this is where, I think this is where you and I, I think our friendship really blossomed because of the similarities that we share in that both of us really would do that at the back of mass yeah. because we understood the difficulties it took for us to even get to that place. And so you recognize that in other faces where you think, man, I just want you to feel the beauty and joy that I feel by coming into this sacred space. Um, and again, it, it's very specific to the parish that we go to and we understand just how lucky we are to have that. Um, but, but it is our calling to be able to minister to others who find themselves with the scaffolding halfway up, um, yeah. trying to make sense of it. Yeah, I've never forgotten the outsider I always felt I was. And so I have the empathy for what that feels like. And it's an awful feeling. It's a terrible feeling. And the most, again, talking about where you see the face of God, one of the things that the ministry does intentionally so is it brings its social activities out to gay and lesbian bars in the community. And that mostly gay bars, let's just be clear. Um, and the most fruitful conversations I've had there have been in people who I'm standing at the margins because that's where I believe I need to be. And people are like, what is going on? Like, who are you people and what are you doing here? And at the most, and not because I'm trying to proselytize or to convert somebody, but just the fact that people know that there is an accepting place for these faithful people to be. They none of the, most of the people never came in, but just that knowledge is good enough. That's that's what they can consume for themselves mm -hmm. at that time. I feel like the appropriate way to end our conversation is to ask you about how the scaffolding is. Mm. Well, uh, I'll, uh, <laughs> the scaffolding is still, um, you know, it's always a work in progress journey. We never get there. And, um, you know, how am I building my pathway, I suppose, um, you know, with the scaffolding in, in mind is, is I, I have this analogy that I think is, it certainly is informing for me. And it, it, it helps me, I think, at the times when I'm still questioning or challenging myself in that faith is this thing that you have to basically accept is, is done incrementally. And I love this image about the fact that like, if you're on a path um, and you have a lamp next to you, the pathway is only lit by as far as you can see. And you have to basically know that the light is giving you the power to go just a little bit further. And if you go a little bit further, the lamp, the path is going to be lit a little bit more. And so that's, that's the metaphor I would say for how I approach this. And so, you know, my scaffolding is still being lit. Um, I don't quite know where it ends, <laughs> where, you know, where I'm done. I mean, you live uh, in New know. York, the scaffolding will be there forever. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> point. I love that. that but, that's my I, but I think it's, I think whether we see it or not, the invisible, visible scaffolding that we each carry along with us, it is, it's a part of us. And we're constantly either renovating or updating or taking down what doesn't need to be there anymore. It's just, it's- yeah, Or strengthening or retaping or, you know, strengthening where it's weak because mm -hmm. it got weak. Like you built it, it works. And now you're like, oh, that's, that's a little shifty. <laughs> you know, it's like faulty, faulty construction. Pay more attention here. Got to put more investment here. Uh, but it's maybe just it's like a, maybe it's like a Jenga game. Maybe that's the way we should think about it. It's like, Ooh. you know, you, you pull things out and you climb higher, but you have to make sure you do it intentionally so that you don't be tippy, you know? I like that. I think it's so true. Here we are trying to, because life can be a game. We're over here trying to make the yeah. most of it. And 
you you move things and then other people move things that are completely out of your control and you just have to go along with it and just try to keep it all together. <laughs> Do not topple over because God will be there to pick you up. Yeah. And, and by the way, you know, if you do topple over, that's okay. Just start, start again. Just start again. It. It's okay. You know, I, I, I love that. I didn't, I didn't anticipate us talking about Jenga, but it's such a beautiful way to really get this across. Um, Larry, this has been so much fun. I could talk to you forever and ever and ever, but I want to, I'm kind of curious as to how you're going to respond to this. Um, I want to end by saying Larry Holodeck, peace be with you. Oh, and also with you.